This is Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, and each episode, I'll be joined by world-renowned faculty from across the College of Business, as well as international industry leaders who will offer us insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. to another edition of Business Impact. We're back on UCD campus here in the heart of the business school using this wonderful silky equipment we have in front of us. And um, we've got a very interesting guest today who's going to talk to us about all sorts of stuff. But before we get into that, as I said, we, we do record these on UCD campus occasionally in my bedroom, but less of the bedroom and more of the campus since COVID restrictions have long been lifted. And we hope you're noticing better sound quality and maybe even better content quality, those of you who occasionally send us challenging emails about our content. So it's been a great few months. We've had a lot of different topics. Energy is being particularly prevalent in the mix. So if you're finding too much energy content, we don't have one on energy today, although I'm sure we will be touching upon that subject because it's so pressing. Now, if you saw a few days ago, the Collins Dictionary named their phrase or word of the year as permacrisis. Yes, occasionally some people are into polycrisis, I've also heard, which is even making more technical. But permacrisis is on everyone's lips at the moment because it encapsulates such a wide range of dynamic global and economic events. Obviously, we're all looking closely at the tech job losses, which are sweeping across Ireland and other parts of Europe at the moment. There is, of course, COVID. There is the war in Ukraine brutally grinding on, unfortunately. And, of course, there is the inflation crisis and everything to do with value and price and cost. And also supply chains continue to be challenged out there as well. So there's a lot going on for companies and organisations. When is it ever different, you might say? But there is that sense of just a real intensity of challenges for corporations of all kinds, small, large and medium at the moment. So how do they take on these challenges and what direction do they go in from here? And I suppose that the main thing that everyone's talking about is transformation. How do I transform? How do I withstand these challenges? And maybe I even will embrace some of the opportunities. As listeners will know, a lot of the best companies in the world were set up during downturns and during inflation crisis and so on, like we saw in the 1970s. Now, who better to guide us through my co-pilot for the next half an hour on this subject of transformation is Harry Goddard, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Deloitte Ireland. Harry, you're very welcome along, first of all. Thanks for coming in to campus. Thank you very much, Emmett. Um, Delighted to be here. One of the reasons it's great to see us since COVID happened, getting to meet people face to face is not quite as easy as it used to be. It's fantastic and brilliant energy around the campus today and in particular in this building. It really is tremendous to be able to see so many people out and about now. Yeah, and it's great to have a conversation. We're going to talk about transformation because we've had a lot of people contacting the podcast, contacting me saying, I'd love to hear a very broad based conversation that just talks about the individual challenges that organisations have and go through them almost sort of uh, point by point as much as you can do that within the constraints of the time that we have. But first of all, you're heading up Deloitte here in, in, in Dublin, here in Ireland, to the Irish operation, which is part of a wider European operation. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Barry. You are a Limerick-educated um, man from um, the University of Limerick with an applied maths degree, which, first of all, caught my eye. It's a, lot, a good few years ago now, but it makes it marks out as slightly different from what I might call the more typical recruit that ends up in the big four. That's right, and uh, it was my dad's ambition at the time that I would do a straightforward degree, like a, a BCom, for example, and join one of the accounting firms. Uh, instead, growing up in Clare, um, my passion was maths, and I did a degree in applied maths in Limerick. And through that programme, I discovered uh, my interest in technology. Uh, so on graduating, I became a software developer. I was very lucky. My first career opportunity when I graduated in 93 uh, was working with a very small software consulting company, 
where we developed some, at the time, very sophisticated technology that would allow this large corporation in the UK, it would allow their employees to order products from their desktop. Uh, <laughs> wow. At that point, <laughs> Pushing the boundaries. Un- unheard of, absolutely unheard of. Now, the extraordinary thing about this fantastic technology we developed was that what came out of the back of the technology was essentially a fax. <laughs> okay. So it's not we, quite... we might actually explain to some of our listeners what a fax is. You know? Indeed. I, perhaps I'm dating the technology of the time, but, but that was my first introduction, I suppose, into the transformative impact of technology in a business environment. You should try that at a new client meeting now. You need a fax machine. That's what you're missing here, folks. You know. And now you worked for Bearing Point, which is, um, was related to KPMG. Tell us a little bit about your time there and, and how that all went. I joined uh, KPMG and their consulting business, and uh, it was, uh, I suppose, around the late 90s uh, at that point when actually all of the big four were looking at spinning off their consulting businesses, and KPMG chose to do so, uh, creating, uh, as a result, Bearing Point, which was a global uh, consulting organisation, very much focused on technology consulting. My own role was uh, leading technology consulting into the public sector and financial services marketplaces. Uh, really enjoyed my time there uh, over a period of about 11 years. And in 2007, uh, Bearing Point at that point had floated and had gone through a number of structural changes. And uh, as uh, I had, I suppose, in reflecting my own career, uh, identified uh, the opportunity to, to do something different. And it was at that point I decided to join Deloitte. Now, my, my timing may not have been brilliant. 2007, yeah. I just remind the listeners, it was just before the financial crisis swooped in. That, that was exactly it. And uh, I had arrived uh, in, in, in with the intention of building a technology consulting business for uh, public services and uh, financial services uh, sectors, both of which I think were uh, uh, completely uninterested and much more uh, distracted with much more significant issues at the time. But nonetheless, uh, I persevered and uh, uh, had the opportunity and the support of the partnership to build what has become a very successful technology consulting business in the Irish practice and is now part of a greater than 1,000-person strong consulting business, which is part of our overall uh, portfolio in Deloitte on, uh, in Ireland at the moment. Now, one of the reasons, uh, Harry, we brought you in is to talk about this idea of transformation. It, it's a very broad term. You can transform how people work. You can transform what the board are doing. You can transform a supply chain. You can just transform, I suppose, the reputation of an organisation. So there's all sorts of different types of transformation. Um, when you talk about it, do you talk about it mainly operationally? Is that how you see transformation or, or, or do you see it bigger? Now, what's the word mean to you when you hear that word, first of all? To me, it's, it's much more of a strategic shift for a business. And uh, I, I feel certain uh, that when the history books of this period are written, they'll be written in contrast to the benign decade that we had prior to the pandemic, mm. uh, when actually a global uh, uh, economic environment was quite benign, uh, our social environment was quite benign, the political environment was quite benign. And uh, there was a lot of growth. And uh, through that period of growth, organisations really focus on what are the things that can help my business to be more successful? What are the things that will make it go faster? And they didn't need to transform because actually there wasn't that demand in the external environment. Uh, bring up to date, bring us up to date to the pandemic and all of a sudden we have a, a compelling need to transform our businesses. Uh, if you're not digital or not digitally enabled, it's going to be incredibly difficult to survive through the pandemic. And we saw that at very practical levels uh, we saw client organisations and uh, we worked with organisations from literally barbershops to banks who were looking to digitise their processes. Uh, there was an explosion in the use of cloud technology and cloud services for organisations that didn't have the infrastructure who wanted to build a presence online, not just in order to be able to serve their customers, but also to engage and connect with their suppliers. 
And it was really the ability of organizations to, to make that pivot and make that transition towards that digital environment that reflected their transformation capability. Yeah, and I, I feel diff- uh, feel sorry for you personally because you took up the job again. You're, you're, not, you're not always the luckiest man in the world, but you took up the job just before COVID came in. So like any client-faced business, you, your probably first instinct was to get out there, meet clients, you know, build, build up the pipeline and so on. So that must have been difficult personally when we were all in lockdown in, what was it, March of 2020? Exactly. I was uh, six months of the job or a little over the six months in the job and uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, and have just had just completed my strategy exercise. <laughs> was COVID in that strategy <laughs> And uh, No, actually, it wasn't. Uh, I'm happy to... So I can feel that the sound of a tearing document. Let's start again, folks. It's, it's yeah. Muhammad Ali talks about the benefits of a plan is brilliant until you get... Yeah, punched, yeah, exactly. yeah. Exactly. So, uh, so that, I, that was my, my metaphorical punch. And uh, we were very fortunate, I suppose, in that we had the technology infrastructure in place to facilitate us being able to continue to serve our clients from home. And uh, we really saw that the the segmentation of our client portfolio post-pandemic really was those organisations and clients who actually were digital savvy, digital ready, they had the tech in place. We were able to engage with them uh, directly uh, either into their uh, IT systems in the context of how we support them through the audit or with their Zoom teams or, or Hangouts equivalent we were able to continue to work with them versus those organisations that actually didn't have the same infrastructure in place. And that made supporting those clients and, and the businesses for those organisations much more challenging. And were you, were you surprised when, when COVID happened that the amount of businesses that still hadn't digitised, like they kind of almost came out of the woodwork, was the sheer number of them and how far back they were? Was that a surprise to you or had you kind of suspected that was the case? I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say the sheer number of them. I think yeah. really it was their, their, their readiness to be able to pivot. So their, their, the, the level of investment, I, I think... I was probably surprised the extent to which, uh, because technology started in most organisations as a cost centre, mm. and I was I was surprised the extent to which uh, it still lived in in cost centre part of the organisation, uh, and you you saw that writ large because those businesses found it really difficult to scale their infrastructure quickly. Uh, they didn't have the licences or perhaps the capability internally to enable them to really ramp up their use of the, the existing technology infrastructure they had, and and of course then you had uh, some manufacturing heavy businesses that were strategically low-tech, and uh, they, they found it extraordinarily challenging. Uh, high, high employee numbers, low technology, very difficult business. Yeah, so so now that we're kind of emerging out of it, bleary-eyed, uh, it's a good while into the year now. Obviously, here we are in November, but where is the, the, the kind of the health of Irish business in terms of the transformation journey? Like, what kind of... What kind of stories are you hearing or what are clients tell you? Are, are they sort of got over COVID and they're looking at the inflation issue or where, where, where's their head at collectively? I think we were, well, I, I would mention, I would say I'm a, most of us were probably uh, sort of you know, gathering ourselves as we were coming through the pandemic and we were really being hit hard with the, uh, the, uh, the climate emergency. And uh, I think one of the positive things that happened in the pandemic was the real realisation focus on the climate emergency. And, and I think there's good evidence of that both socially and across businesses, uh, Ireland and, and elsewhere, as evidence, I think, in some of the discussion, uh, some of the positive elements of the discussion happening at the moment in COP27. Uh, so actually, uh, having felt like, you know, nothing could be as complex and, and challenging as the pandemic, we actually were then hit with really responding to climate. And as we start to emerge from dealing with both of those things, we now have the energy crisis, the war in Ukraine, and uh, to your opening remarks on the Parma crisis environment in which we now are operating. And, and Businesses coming out of the pandemic who had started their transformation journey, we're seeing them continue. Uh, they generally have the capital in place, they've got the balance sheet in place to facilitate and continue to invest in that transition. And transitioning both from a digital point of view and a climate point of view isn't discretionary. 
it's a matter of uh, of these organizations existence in the future so to the extent that they see themselves surviving in the future they will continue to, to double down on those investments what we're seeing uh, i think outside of that is is organizations really thinking about well actually how do they maximize the client portfolio that they have or the product portfolio that they have if they are not in a position to make those investments and there's been a huge amount of private equity uh, money available uh, those organizations are looking at how they can support businesses in investing to become much more digital or uh, to take advantage of any climate capability that they might have. So just to drill down a little bit, what, what would be like, and obviously for commercial sensitivity reasons, we can't say the company names, but what would be the typical project you'd, you'd hear about, a typical trend? Like what, what would be the most uh, kind of common phone call you'd be getting at the moment to say we need to do this particular thing? Can you just give us something tangible, what it would look like, the kind of work that a company might be doing at the moment to transform? Yeah, so I would say very practically during, during the pandemic, organisations were really focused on how do we create a digital front end that our customers can engage with us on? And how do we engage our, our suppliers uh, te- through, through technology? Uh, the fax, uh, I'm afraid to say, was uh, still in, in, in existence and highly prevalent, uh, but had, had to go. Uh, so very practical things were facilitating organisations, getting online, engaging with their customers, being able to sell products and providing insight. Online customer service became huge. And what we saw post-pandemic is that organisations moved so quickly to put that technology infrastructure in place uh, they scaled so quickly, actually, they didn't necessarily have all the enabling f- infrastructure in place. So what we saw ourselves doing post, uh, have seen ourselves doing post the pandemic, is supporting those organizations, ensuring they have all of the, re- the robust technology and processes around, for example, their finance capability, their HR capability, to keep up with the core uh, product and client processes that they had digitized and automated through the pandemic. Now, obviously, when, when consultants arrive into companies and buildings, sometimes, occasionally, I'm sure you've seen the stories of witnesses, have, the internal staff um, grouping can be resistant. They might say, well, this person can't know more than me. Or, you know, are you telling me something I was doing was wrong? And So how do you navigate that whole relationship? I mean, you're dealing with IT managers, you're dealing with CTOs, all of that sort of stuff. I mean, is that something that you're well used to managing or how, how does that all work out? You know, one of the things that's really important and, and has been hugely important to us uh, in Deloitte has been how we collaborate with clients. Uh, the client knows their clients, the products and the business better than anybody else in the world. And our role is to help them deliver that experience using technology in a way that will create greater value for their business. And what's really important in how we do that is we ensure that our, our clients' people understand the technology, they adopt the technology and are able to operate and use the technology to their advantage in the future. Nine times out of ten, the role that we're undertaking is to support the transformation. But we've got to leave behind a healthy organisation that's self-sustaining into the future and for the long run. And we can only do that by successfully working in conjunction, cheek to jowl with the client's organisation to deliver the transformation programme. Now, there's a lot of big global businesses based in Ireland, a lot of them based in Dublin, as we know. Some of them are in the news. and We won't be going into names of who's, who's laying off who or whatever, that sort of stuff. But you obviously service into multinational companies. How does that work in terms of... They're obviously based in Ireland, but they're part of a, a general, probably a European structure, but it may be also with a US part involved. Like, you're not just meeting the local country manager or in their team. There's a whole US, European... How do you pull all those different pieces together when you arrive sort of on site? So, uh, Deloitte, I suppose, when, you, when, we're, when we're working with organisations like global businesses that are headquartered in, uh, in Ireland, we essentially have three clients we're working to. We're obviously working directly to support the organisation domestically. 
We're also working uh, in conjunction with the client based in their HQ, which could be the US, for example, or might be the UK or Germany. And we're also working with the Deloitte account team uh, that's supporting them globally. And our role is to ensure that we are connecting all of those pieces together to bring value to the organisation locally. Uh, We're the largest professional services firm in the world. Uh, We have the benefit of having relationships with some of the biggest, the most iconic brands in the world and supporting them in their most complex transformation agendas. And those agendas, uh, the strategies for them are devised often at headquarters. So our, our role in Ireland is to be part of that global team working at headquarters, really ensuring that we understand the mission of the transformation program and bringing that expertise and capability to Ireland to support the local organisation as it undertakes its part of the transformation journey. Now, Harry, you've talked about digital transformation and, and you're saying a lot of it's very close to the customer. It could be just about the website. And I'll just say just as in as a small thing, it's a huge thing. Yeah. Back office, client focus. But another area I know that's growing is the whole governance and technology, or sorry, governance and regulation, should I say. Um, sometimes regulators can be seen as meddling or, you know, interfering in businesses, but whether people like them or don't like them, they have a job to do as well. That whole governance and regulation piece, that's a growing business stream for you guys. Just tell us about what's in that area, what's what's busy or what's happening. Every business today has got a regulator uh, and any organisation that says, well, I'm lucky actually this sector I, ser- I, I serve isn't regulated that's not the case. They uh, just haven't called you yet. <laughs> they haven't called you yet, exactly. So we're, we're all, and I think in Europe in particular, we're in a highly regulated environment. Um, I think the things that are really, you know, I suppose, uh, hitting uh, uh, the organisation agenda, the financial regulator continues to be extraordinarily robust. Uh, finance businesses, financial services organisations continue to see significant regulation. Uh, the insurance sector in particular through IFRS um, has seen a lot of change. And we're going to see, have seen and will continue to see a lot of regulation in digital media around content. Um, data, transparency and trust are going to become huge themes. You know, that's really had the, the band-aid ripped off, I suppose, with some of the moves in, uh, in relation to some of the global tech companies. And Ireland's role in relation to that is going to be very significant. Uh, so Ireland has a real opportunity. Where is data held? Who is it transferred to? Who is it passed? Who can see it? All that sort of stuff. Exactly. Uh, how do we think about trust and transparency? How do we think about uh, how data can be moved around? How do we think about the protection of rights? And how do we think about identity? All of these are huge issues. And Ireland has a significant role, I think, as the gatekeeper of that on behalf of Europe. And actually Europe, in some respects, on behalf of the rest of the world. So I think there's a real uh, obligation for us to ensure that we invest in building the capability to support that responsibility and that we play our role on the global stage. So that, that it sounds like data security is big, you know, in the, within that practice part that you have, that it, that is a big part. Huge, very, very significant. Now, the other, the other area we want to work and, and talk about is, is finance. Uh, you can't get away from that. Ultimately, we've all these other high-minded, elevated ideas about how business works. But unless the finance engine is running smoothly, and particularly in the inflation crisis, I suppose, the, the finance people have been maybe in the margins a little bit when profits are booming and money was cheap. But now they're coming back into the fore. You do a lot of transformation in that area. You obviously got payment processing and are we actually our own finance unit within the company actually operating smoothly? Because it is a, a treasure trove of documentation and data, as you know. But also just is the finance function in terms of as a profit centre or our money maker or, you know, all of that sort of stuff happening. So there's two bits in that when you talk about transformation in, in finance, isn't there? So if you look if you look at the Irish economy, we host a number of global finance shared services centres for multinational organisations, particularly in life sciences, but also in financial services and others. 
so we, we have this huge centers of capability that are running the financial processes for these global organizations headquartered perhaps elsewhere around the world. Uh, and then, of course, we have our domestic businesses. Uh, through the pandemic, uh, the finance function is one of those areas that really was challenged. Uh, first of all, do we have the cash? Yep. <laughs> uh, do we have the customers? Are the bills being issued and is the money coming in? Uh, and then actually, as businesses start to really ramp up, uh, they reconciling, you know, do we need government support? What are we doing with the government support? Uh, are we going to hold on to it or give it back? Uh, how are we managing the volume of business that we're undertaking? So uh, those those uh, parts of the business were extraordinarily busy with very high levels of activity, but actually without the space to really invest. And what we've seen happening over the past number of months is those organisations now taking time to invest and ensuring they've got the platforms in place, uh, that they have the processes in place. And it, this is in an environment, Emmett, where uh, the external context has completely changed. And what's really changed in particular, I suppose, is our awareness of uh, cybercrime. And of course, the finance function, particularly in a finance function that's managing lots of payments uh, or lots of cash um, in and out of the organisation, is 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 a very high candidate or target for cybercrime. So it goes beyond, I suppose, just protecting uh, the efficiency of the processes, but actually protecting the security of the business uh, in how we think about transforming the finance function so that you have so, those checks and balances. So do, do they tackle that by implementing a new software system or what, what's the best way to tackle that? Or is it a people issue or what, what do you usually find it, in that area? It's, it's a combination of, of, of all three people, processes and technology. So we've got to have, ensure that we have the robust technology in place that's got the, uh, the, uh, the audit logs, uh, the control infrastructure, that we've got the right uh, people and roles in place. And often these organisations are distributed across countries. You might have a front office to the finance function in Dublin. Some of the back office work has been done, for example, in a delivery centre in India. We need to ensure that we've got the capability and the technology connecting those. And then, of course, the governance uh, that sits over all of it. And then sitting around that uh, are the other organisation elements like internal audit, uh, IT controls, IT security, ensuring that the uh, the processes are functioning effectively and in a manner that's secure, uh, resilient and reliable. Now, in terms of Deloitte's business, because we were, we're, already, we're already already running out of time because we're talking about so much about transformation, I think one of the things that you, you want to emphasise, and it's understandable, is that you can't be sort of preaching to clients about transformation if you're not doing it yourselves within the company. Um, can you tell us a little bit about transformation within Deloitte itself, how the business looks different than, say, five or ten years ago? Business has, has transformed from ten years ago. I mean, uh, from an external point of view, where we are in ten years, we've almost doubled the number of partners that are in, that are in the business. Uh, I've lost track of the number of new businesses that we've created. Uh, some of the businesses that we've created include things like cloud engineering, forensic science for wow. uh, forensic investigations, <laughs> uh, debt and capital advisory to really support. Uh, uh, businesses get access to the debt and capital markets without necessarily having to always go through the traditional yeah. channels. Uh, just an illustration. So, so a lot of them would have been done by, um, you know, kind of like so, some of those things might have been management consultancy or, or stockbrokers or banks possibly, you know, they, they would be areas that would have been off limits to a, a big four company before, but you, you've sort of moved into those areas. We, we, we have at the moment, and, uh, and of course I haven't mentioned yet sustainability, which of course is a really significant new part of the business. We, we probably have uh, on the island at the moment in excess of about 500 software developers supporting our clients, uh, such as the amount of uh, technology services work that we do uh, in implementing technology to support our clients' uh, requirements. And that's, a, in my mind, a real benchmark of the amount of change that's been in our business. And, you know, if you looked 10 years ago, we might have had 
50. And is your biggest competitor, obviously there are certain competitors, there's the three of the other top big four, but is your other competitor in a way the company internally? And what I mean by that is some of these functions might have been done in-house previously and then somebody in the company has said, maybe we'd be better getting someone outside with a fresh pair of eyes, a different perspective, more independent, who isn't, what would you say, connected to previous decisions and has a, a fresh pair of hands. Is that sometimes played into your strength in Deloitte that you get that kind of work? Is that the decision-making process or the way of characterising that or, or is that not the way it is? I, I think it has evolved from there. And I think organisations really realise how complex the environment is today. The amount of change they're trying to undertake and execute themselves and their core disciplines are typically related to whatever their business is. Sure. If it's a manufacturing company or... If it's the widgets, that's what their interest is, the widgets, that, right. That's where the their core widget. competency is. And they recognise actually to undertake the changes that are required, they need somebody whose core competency is change. And that's where they come to Deloitte. Our core competency is, is in helping them to manage that, design that change, manage the change, and then bring the skills to support the implementation of the change, which could be technology or finance or in some other area of our business. Now, in terms of um, the business is doing well, I, I think you, you could update us on, on, on current revenues and so on. Um, you're a part of a, a wider north-south European structure, which is, is quite interesting. And also, of course, you have a lot of partners, they bring a lot of different skills, and you're recruiting from all kinds of different disciplines. It's not just the auditors and accountants, although you have those too, because I, I know you're very conscious of saying, we do have auditors still, I know we're, we're diversifying, but the core business that would always be in kind of the, the meat and drink of Deloitte is still in place too. It absolutely is. I mean, the, the, the core business remains the same, and actually we see real value in the fact that our core business in audit has access to all these other skills because the audit has become much more complex. And uh, being able to tap into the skills across the rest of the business creates real value uh, uh, for our order clients. Uh, so that continues to be the case, but we are looking broader in, 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 in terms of the sorts of skills. Even in audit, uh, we need uh, data analysts, uh, we need forensic scientists and forensic accountants, we need uh, actuarial uh, uh, expertise, uh, and we need people who understand governance and compliance reporting. Uh, so uh, the range of skills that we're tapping into uh, has extended, and also how we go to the market uh, has evolved. Uh, you know, we, we're in a very difficult employment market. I'm very happy to say from the point of view that uh, we've got very low unemployment. Uh, and as a result, our reaction to that isn't just to continue to focus on the graduate market, which is hugely important for us, but also looking at our return to work programme. We're also doing work with the uh, the Refugee Council to explore ways in which we can support those who perhaps mightn't necessarily have an obvious opportunity into the workforce to find their way into the workplace. Now, in terms of what companies are dealing with, obviously the inflation crisis is top of mind for virtually every company. There's a whole battle about who's going to pass on what cost to who, right? And that's always a charged area. It starts with the producers and then you have the middlemen, the, the retailers, and then you have the consumers and it gets shuffled between different parts of that relationship. How much are companies talking to you about inflation at the moment? I mean, and what, what are they saying to you about that particular problem? Does, has that kind of come into your um, into your offices as, as an issue? You're talking about digital transformation, maybe they're connected, but wh how do you see the inflation issue playing out for the companies? that you advise? It, it's, it's quite sectoral, it's sectorally specific and uh, depending on the sector that, one, that, that, that a business is in, it will really judge their response. My general observation is that uh, across many sectors, organisations aren't looking to pass the price on to the consumer, uh, which I think fun, is, is really important because I think the risk is if that were to happen, that would really impact on consumer demand, which I think would, would have a, a, a greater, a more negative impact than the one that we are potentially looking at uh, on, the, uh, on the economy. 
So organizations are trying to find a way to innovate around it. So how do we how do we avoid these costs? Or how do we do other things in our business so that we don't have to accept these costs? And it's not just digital transformation. It's uh, climate action planning and transformation to respond to the climate crisis, move away from carbon. Uh, it's it's recognizing the role government has got to play, uh, which isn't just about the funding supports and the tax credit supports, but also the investments the government's got to make to help Ireland transition towards a more sustainable uh, environment in how we think about energy, water and other things, public infrastructure, housing, uh, etc. Do you think um, something like the inflation crisis plays to the strengths of the larger companies? What I mean by that is they can eat up the costs a bit easier than the smaller ones. So, and again, you know, like a Ryanair, somebody, somebody who can afford not to pass on the full effects of their higher input costs, whereas a smaller guy probably has less flexibility. Do, do you think that'll play a part that it'll play to the strengths of bigger companies or, or is, is it the smaller companies will be more efficient and reorganise their operations, as you say, and transform, getting back to the start of our conversation? I think, I think it plays to the strength of organisations that are agile, hmm. whether they're big or small. So organisations that have got the, um, uh, the mindset, uh, the curiosity uh, to really think about how we can transform and change what we're doing to, to, to respond to and not have to react to what's going to continue to, to be part of this perma-crisis environment in which we are operating. I think businesses that are highly connected to inflationary elements, so businesses that are highly dependent on um, energy costs, will find it much more difficult than businesses that aren't. But I think businesses, big or small, that have that mindset and preparedness to really think about how they can transform themselves, continue to serve the customers, continue to innovate around their products, will continue to be successful. And, and th- those real transformers, does it come down to the person at the top to make the to sort of direct the strategy, obviously you've got a board, but you've got a, a management team too. Do you find when you go into companies that you kind of some some companies you go in and go, this is not going to work because I feel that the CEO and colleagues of management aren't fully behind this, or do you go into other companies and go, actually this will work because they really are putting their shoulder to the wheel? So in other words, does it come down to the people and their commitment to transform? Fundamentally, uh, it, re- it fundamentally does. If the if the, the chief executive and the senior leadership team is of the view that everything is going fine and no change required here, then no change is going to happen. Uh, but if the organisation recognises the opportunity in the current environment, the opportunity to change, then they really have an opportunity to, to catalyse their organisation and have a responsibility to do that. And it's, you know, in my own experience, it has changed the role of the leader quite significantly. Uh, because instead of just worrying about are we doing those things today that are important for our customers today, you also have to have this other side of your mind that's thinking about what are the things that we're changing about today that doesn't break what we're doing today but prepares us for tomorrow. Yeah, and I suppose when we talk about transformation, the biggest transformation of all, as you've mentioned already, is sustainability the climate. I mean, we're all we're all transformers now. Even in every individual, if you're just buying an electric vehicle. Or if you're, you know, cutting back on fossil fuels in your house, you're getting new fuel sources or you're getting some lagging put in your attic, you are a transformer of sorts, be it on a, a more modest scale than companies. So the Irish economy is transforming, the, 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 the climate here in Ireland is transforming. So that is a form of transformation, not dissimilar to the way companies are having to do it. It's, it's one of the biggest drivers. So there are back-end costs that are driving uh, organisations need to change, but there are significant front-end costs. And, you know, the, the, the point on climate, I think, is very well made, Emmett. Uh, consumers and businesses have expectations about the uh, organisations with whom they do business and the company they keep and uh, the extent to which they have climate credentials that they can have confidence in is hugely important to them. So organisations, I think, are feeling the challenge from a number of points of view. Uh, There are cost challenges, there are regulatory challenges, and then there are 
demand challenges, which are forcing them, I think, to really think about their core purpose as an organisation and how they're going to be a sustainable business into the future. Okay, well, listen, you've got some tips, you've got some guidance. Uh, Harry Goddard is Chief Executive Officer of Deloitte. We're all transforming from the individual to the organisation right up to the level of the state. The next few years are going to see it galloping up. We've no choice. So even if you don't want to transform, you will be forced to transform in this environment. As I said, perma-crisis and how to deal with it is what we've been discussing today. We even got fax machines in there from a a long time ago. I think if you still have one of those, I think uh, you might be past the point of even transforming at this stage. But it's a very interesting journey. And thanks to my guest, Harry Goddard, who is the Chief Executive of Deloitte Ireland. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Emma. Now, if you enjoyed this week's episode of the UCD Business Impact Podcast, please subscribe to episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We cover a broad range of topics with insights from business leaders around the world, so there's sure to be something there for everyone. I'd like to thank our production team of Beth Gormley and Mike Liffey. They work tirelessly in the background, sourcing interviewees, editing, promoting episodes, and everything in between. I've been your host, Emmett Oliver, and we hope you can join us next time on UCD Business Impact. Music